Hey folks, welcome to our latest episode of Hella Interesting People. My name is Mike Ruby. And my name is Jacob Rubin. And we're glad to have you here listening today. We have a good episode for you. Yeah, this one I'm really enjoying. It's been a few weeks since we put out the last one. Sorry about that. I know you all have been chomping at the bit. I get roughly eight texts an hour. <laughs> Not about this. Just I'm just bragging. Oh, okay. You're a popular guy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing of- really badly in my fantasy football league. Apparently football's not happening right now. Yeah, it's not. That's how you do badly at it. So uh, speaking of... Uh- <laughs> Speaking of what? I, <laughs> well, I mean, you just you just started the sentence. You know, sometimes you start a sentence, and you just have no idea where it's going to well, go. No, I was trying to do a smooth transition, uh, and I failed fucking miserably. <laughs> so let me just ask you: You were in a commercial last week. Oh my god! Yes. Uh, so you were in a Dos Equis commercial. Yes. Well, we f- it, it was filmed. It hasn't been released. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I. We. Yeah. We totally should talk about this. Um. Right. This is a very. This is interesting. Uh. So my my good friend uh, Jesse Baldridge, possibly future podcast guest Jesse Baldridge, um. He lives like five blocks from me now in Los Angeles, and he's an actor, and he got an audition that required you to bring a friend. And he's like, hey, I need a friend to come with me to this thing. Which is strange. It is strange. I've they, never heard of that. Apparently, this is something they're doing now because of COVID. It's like, we need people to play friends. So if we meet people who are already like in the same bubble and are comfortable, then it's just kind of safer. And I don't really know how much safer because then you're going to be in the commercial with people who aren't in your bubble. But whatever. I think this is something they're trying. And I mean, I am not an actor, but I, you know, I did stand up. I'm a performer. I get it. So then we went and just, I went completely thinking this is going to be nothing. This is going to be a fun thing I do to help my buddy out. Maybe we get it. Maybe we don't. And we got it. So and it filmed um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't know when it's going to air. Um, I know that they shot like ten commercials as a part of this one campaign, and I am in three of them. One of them is a longer, like thirty second spot, and the other two are six seconds long. Uh, so yeah, if you're um, so the the two six second ones will probably be like on YouTube or whatever. Um, if you follow me in any way on social media, you'll know when they happen because I'll post about it. Right. Yeah. So they broke away from the most interesting man in the world stuff they haven't done that in a long time but yes they have yeah this is this this campaign seems to be about like um sort of like mischief and friendship like one of the ones that i'm in my, my favorite one that i'm in i play a bartender and i don't and i'm trying to change the channel on the tv and the remote's not working and i look at the remote and i'm all confused and i'm hitting it trying to get it to go and then they reveal that someone else sitting at the bar has taken the batteries out so i can't change the channel and so it has to stay on their their team's game so it's like by drinking Dos Equis, it'll make you more brave to fuck with people in the service industry, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, it, I, I, the, the commercials are genuinely cute and funny, and I think they're going to look really good. And everyone on the shoot was really cool. Um, yeah. So uh, at some point, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, go out and check out this Dos Equis. But yeah, I'm going to meet a Dos Equis commercial. That's, I mean, that's one more commercial than I've ever been in. Sure. Have I been in a commercial? No. Not, not to your knowledge. Technically, a lot of the technically when you like sometimes no, not maybe not theme parks, but like, uh, okay, you've probably been to concerts where you've seen a sign that's like we're filming this concert for possible DVD release. Yeah. Therefore, by buying your ticket, you're legally agreeing that you, if you're in the concert, you can't sue us or whatever. The last time uh, I experienced that was when I saw Mark Marin do a comedy show in Chicago. Oh, you were, he, it was a, a special taping. It was a special. It was directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. Sick. And uh, it was, I don't think I was in the final product, but sure. I was there for the, the, the Vic Theater in Chicago. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be on camera, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Justin Allen, who's another stand-up, was in a Chelsea Peretti's 
uh, special, you see him laughing in the audience, but you have to have a big reaction to stuff right. if they're going to include you. And that's like, like I know people who will, before they go to a comedy, I, I, I've known one person who did this, who will practice their laugh in the mirror to see, they're like, I really want to be in this. Whatever works. Man. Whatever works, you know, man. I'm not in any position. Justin wasn't to... trying. Justin got in because he genuinely looked good. Yeah. Yeah. So transitioning into our guest oh, right. for today. <laughs> uh, it's your wife. It's my wife, yeah. My wife. Uh, that was for you to say, not for me. I, I chose not to. Okay. <laughs> you had a, a golden opportunity to do a Borat impression. You guys, Borat subsequent movie film, available now on Amazon. Worth a watch. Okay, so... Turning back to what we're talking about, right. <laughs> my, my wife, my wife, uh, Annie is the uh, our podcast guest today. Right. We're going to talk about uh, her experience working on cruise ships. Yep. she put in five years, uh, just shy of five years. Yeah, five years Four on and cruise half. ships, and it's where you and Annie met. That's you were, correct. Uh, so we talk a little bit about that. And this was a good one. I'm very fond of your wife, Annie. She's like a way better person than you are. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's safe to say that both of us married up. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Like my wife is a way better person. Than yeah. I Caitlin's am. super cool. Yeah. Yeah. We suck. I don't know. I don't know why we're doing this. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if the two of them got together and got married, that'd be a way more uh, dynamic and exciting couple than the two of us. Very nice. <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Here is our talk with Annie Ward. All right, so before we start, I feel like we should just keep on listing things that are not okay to lick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nintendo Switch cartridges. Door handles, yeah. Door handles, Particularly obviously. in the time of COVID. Um, neck hair. Don't look neck hair. So I, I want to return to, you were just talking about Nintendo Switch cartridges and how Nintendo on purpose put like a poopy taste yeah. in the cartridge to uh, deter kids from putting it in their mouth. Yep. It's very wise. It's, it's smart. Because yeah. I mean, when you, when you make something, especially when you're a company like Nintendo that's particularly family friendly, um, like AirPods are also a super choking hazard, but you didn't see any of the company like Apple nor any of the other companies that make AirPods putting something s- stinky on it to make kids not choke on it. Right. I, I guess, guess that goes in your ear and you don't want to hear the stink. I guess uh, uh, Nintendo Lingus was a problem <laughs> for a while. Yeah, that's real. The dog's back. <laughs> he, he wanted to get out. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So to, to clarify for anyone listening, which is hopefully a lot of people, uh, we, we are recording this in the apartment that Annie and I share, um, and we have a dog, and uh, she's in the bedroom, and me and Mike are in the living room for sound reasons, but the dog can't decide where he wants to be, so he's back and forth. We tried to do this a couple of weeks ago, and your dog bit through one of the mic cables, Yeah, <laughs> and so we had to stop. And we learned that XLR cables are uh, not as expensive as I thought in my head. They're really yeah. not that bad. Yeah. So we did buy a new XLR. They should have, they should have coated it with a poopy taste. That, uh, dude, exactly. exactly. I think every hazardous thing that is bite-sized should have a poopy taste. Yeah. Mm. 
Because like, of course, we know that rubber isn't a tasty thing, but like a child doesn't know that. A child who's learning about what things taste like isn't going to put some, I mean, unless it's actual poop, something that is designed to taste bad, wouldn't put something like an XLR cable in their mouth. Is poop designed to taste bad? Is that <laughs> like an evolutionary reason for That's that? That's it. Ah, oh, there must be. So Annie. <laughs> Hi. I just want to, it's here. time to dive into this thing. Yeah. Uh, you're a person who has had a multifaceted career. You've had, you've had your toe, not even your toe, you've had your whole self in many different career paths. Today, what we mainly want to talk about is your time on cruise ships. You were a cruise yeah. ship personnel for a number of, five years? Four years, four okay. and a bit, yeah. Right. So I kind of want to start off with a horror story. Like, I'm going to ask you more specifically, but like, what's a, what's a really, what, what is a fucked up thing that, ha that just went terribly wrong for you? Oh, that's such a good question. For me specifically, I don't think I personally had many horrors on board um, per se, uh, but then you hear about stuff, you know, like on, you know, stuff happens on cruise ships. It's like life, like everything goes down and, you know, you get to know people and you get to know so many people. Like, unfortunately, because I've got to know so many people, people have passed away that I've known that were working on cruise ships. There was one cruise ship that I went on. I didn't know them, but they were on the ship at the same time as me. They went missing in a port, a young woman. You know, there's those kind of horror stories that unfortunately do happen. That's um, not exactly what I was driving at. I, some, some that's horror. Like, that's pure horror there, right? Like people yes, are missing and dying, that's, right? Yeah, <laughs> perhaps I misspoke. I'm thinking of just like, you know, the toilet stopped working and it was oh, really sure. gross or like, you know, oh, something. Yeah. I shouldn't have said fucked up, but yeah. like. Some, just yeah, fucked like, up is like, hey, okay, so what, do you ever work on a cruise ship that was also the setting of a Saw movie? Has that ever happened? <laughs> right. um, I mean, like one of the worst stories I have is that like one of the ships that sailed out of Asia um, there was there was a ghost story on one of the ships because a crew member had unfortunately committed suicide, and because um, in a lot of Asian cultures people believe that like that the place becomes haunted, right? Like so in Hong Kong, for example, there's really limited space. There's not many places to live, but if somebody's died in an apartment or a, or a home, people don't want to move in there. They won't they won't occupy that space because it's like got bad juju. I don't know if it's a belief that it's haunted or it just has like a bad atmosphere but people won't in fact they even have platforms and like um websites and stuff where westerners can rent those places cheaper because the people that live there won't buy it won't buy or rent them so oh how this relates to ships yes so there was a ship <laughs> where somebody died and like you know there was a lot of stories and a lot of crew members would refuse if they were you know part of that culture they had those values they'd refuse to go to that ship as I thought it was haunted, had bad spirits. But in terms of, that's kind of a horror story, but in terms that's of- That's literally like, a horror story. Yeah, yeah I mean, it has a ghost in it. In terms of things going like, just like wrong. I mean, it's the guests, it's always the guests. I mean, I've been on ships with fires. Um, that's quite a common thing that actually happens on cruise ships. We've had a few fires. It was, I was part of a team that um, responded to the fire emergency code word because we had to prepare the kids for evacuation. Um, that's pretty scary. Again, I'm going kind of bleak here. Um, fun horror stories. 
I don't know. People's toilets sometimes overflowed. There one we friends, go. <laughs> one of my friends had a toilet that overflowed and flooded her entire cabin with like sewage and shit. Ugh. Yeah, there we go. Oh, back, and all, back and to like, poop. So all her stuff, because yeah. like the crew cabins for the most part are particularly tiny and mm-hmm. you have to keep some of your stuff on the floor, especially like shoes, obviously. Um, yeah, they had to replace lines. the whole carpet. It oh my God. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Yeah, I don't that think sounds like any personal items on on the ground. Thank God, but yeah, it was bleak. That is very bleak. Yeah, it, it sounds yeah. like a shitty time. Hey, finally, yeah. shitty time. And then like guests are just guests can just be shitty. Like yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I've definitely you. I've heard some guest related horror stories from Jacob. Who to clarify for our listeners, you and Jacob met while working on a cruise ship yep so jacob is being both the interviewer and sort of like the the bridge between the interviewee and the interviewer because he also has a lot of insight where i have have, like i mean literally half the experience that annie has like because i work on ships for half the time but yeah right well that's why we're interviewing her and not you but i'm just saying i I would i that's a great idea to not have me be the focal point so (laughs) annie i want to uh get into what was your actual role because it sounds like it's sort of this blending of childcare and admin would that be accurate yeah that's pretty close I mean when I joined cruise ships I was a qualified teacher and I wanted to travel so I started out as a youth staff um and it's kind of a baptism of fire you know I'd worked with teenagers for a number of years but suddenly I was expected to work with babies as young as six months and teens up to 17 years and really do all the age groups and learn all of the intricacies and, and stuff that went with that and, and how to entertain, but also deal with these groups, um, manage them safely. I mean, you're, you're not talking about a small group of children. You're talking about like the most teens I probably would handle at once is somewhere between like a hundred a night. And then if it got really bad, like 150, just me, uh, one person. Yep. Um, you're looking at like for the, nursery like anywhere between eight and 12 babies there at one at one time and one staff member to four of them but someone's signing in dealing with the parents so you can have one staff member to eight babies at any given time like it was a really intense like job that involved a lot of multitasking a a lot of like energy and just being on your feet and dealing with everything and then I actually moved into the management position. So on the bigger ships, you have like a team of youth staff that are running this childcare center. It's up to about 28 people on the big ship. So on the biggest ship I worked on, we had 28 staff. And then you had me, which was the assistant manager. And then you had a manager above me. The assistant manager role is like really intense because although the manager has overall, overall responsibility, Everything that goes wrong or any incident or any staff query comes through me first. Yeah. And I kind of filter it, you know, and if I need to bring in the big guns, then I bring in the big guns. And you're right. There was admin too. I, I was in charge of everybody's schedule, 28 people's schedule when they're working. And when you operate hours from like 6 a.m. to 2 a.m., that's a lot of hours to fill for each child's service. Um, and we never had enough staff for, for a company that, has so much money we never had enough staff honestly and like you we were always at a point where we were like is this safe is this safe is this safe to operate is it safe to operate with this many staff what can we do like that was the biggest challenge of management yeah damn it 
I'm just, like it, this is stressing me out. Yeah, it, 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 that's not just I mean, that's that's definitely a big problem with the youth staff, because there's really no way of predicting how many kids are going to be in a place at a certain time or anything like that. But like that's also I mean, the the way that a lot of ship teams are designed is that uh, if one person is sick or hurt or has to or gets fired and they can't find a replacement, then you can really feel it in the whole team. Every like they really do fairly minimal staffing on these teams. Yeah. And you're expected to just increase the hours of your staff, you know, mm-hmm. so you work in seven days a week and your staff could have been doing between eight and 10. And then all of a sudden they're doing between 10 and 12, maybe 13. Yeah. Everybody like one person leaves and suddenly everyone has an extra hour of work. Yeah. So I know you have a pretty extensive resume of childcare. Did that was, were, were those jobs a stepping stone to this? Yeah, in a way, it was kind of a sidestep, to be honest with you. Like, you know, you didn't need a teaching degree to be a youth staff. But but the company I worked for did require that you had a degree of some sort. Um, They wanted you to have a a bachelor's degree and um, some kind of background working with kids. Um, My background had been I'd worked as a teaching assistant for a year with special needs kids. I taught abroad. I would worked as a I did my teaching qualification in the UK and I worked as a teacher for a year and really I just wanted to travel and although I suppose I haven't been putting the job in a really positive light so far opening with horror stories and saying how crazy it was but it, it really was fun I mean you know you had high season and low season when it came to the kids so you had times of the year where it was peak times and you were working like a dog and then times when it was low accounts of children you got a bit of a break Um, even in the high seasons, you know, you would get days off in port, you would be able to explore, you would be able to like, have a day at the beach, see stuff. And then at night, like, you'd just be partying all the time, because everyone was like, in their 20s, mostly. And everyone's there to have a good time, single, (laughs) Hmm. single, and ready to mingle and like, just, you know, enjoy themselves. Like, no one had any responsibility, really, on the cruise ship. So are you saying that you and Jacob mingled on the cruise ship? <laughs> I'll never admit to that. <laughs> we were both single. Yeah. And, and there was some mingling. mingling. Yeah. yeah, we were super ready. <laughs> so on the subject of uh, ports and destinations, uh, I guess I want to know, like, so it sounds like it was a relief to get off the ship and explore for a little bit. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's so nice as well, because you, like, unless you're in crew areas on the ship, you always have your name badge. So you're always on duty. So even though you could like enjoy some of the guest things like the restaurants and shows, you're on duty. You have to be on your best behavior. But when you get to get off the ship, I mean, you still have the concern that a guest or a kid might recognize you, but you really are off duty. It's your time to relax, chill out, you know, go sightseeing, go to the beach, have some daiquiris, some pina coladas. Like I'm, I'm talking about it like it's really heavy drinking, but we had a lot of fun. It was a partying all the time. <laughs> there, there, there was a weird, like, <laughs> uh, uh, all my love goes to the human resources teams on these ships because they really, it's a really hard job to keep morale up and keep it going. And there was mm. almost every night there was some sort of event. It could be a little bingo game. It could be we're screening a movie. There was all, they really tried to keep something going on. But if they wanted to entertain everyone all at once, really the only way they knew how to do that was to bring out the liquor. Either liquor or gambling. Yeah, um, all crew parties. Everyone used to go mad for them. All crew parties once yeah. a week. And and the great thing was as well. Once a week? 
maybe not once a week. No, all crew parties once a month, but there was always a party every week. Every party, there, every week there was like something like we're doing Latin night or Caribbean night or yeah. fish and chips or wine and cheese night. I love when they did yeah. wine and cheese night. Uh, and, you and get like, to find out how people from every different country farts. It's the greatest. <laughs> and the independence parties were the best because the crew actually organized them themselves. So like India's independence party, the Philippines independence party, they would all organize it themselves, have food made by chefs from that country, mm -hmm. have like special drinks, have the music and just like all celebrate their culture in one place. And then you could just go and enjoy that and, and be like, oh, this is how they party in the Philippines. Yeah. Great. What do you mean by independence? Like independence from the filthy British? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Independence from from the British or the Dutch. They were they were kind of bad, too. Um, yeah. Or the Spanish. You know, there's a number of places. But yeah, a, a lot of the time uh, from from England. And um, yeah. But they didn't mind celebrating with British people, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah, water under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. The, the. I mean, the... nobody who's British now is like, "Oh, we should go back to those times," <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, th that's I a different not. conversation entirely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of nationalism and whatnot, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah, my to, to jump on the independence parties thing. Yeah, that's super super true because like. Uh, we, I mean, the, the countries that are most represented in terms of crew members on cruise ships, at least for our company, I don't know how it was in other companies, were um, Philippines, India, Indonesia, um, China, the Caribbean. So all these, so the, my first, maybe my, my first contract, maybe my second or third week was Indonesian Independence Day. And not only did they hook it up with a bunch of Indonesian food and every Indonesian crew member came to party, but they had a, a rock band made up of crew members and they just did like rock. They were playing like Nirvana and Green Day and Muse covers until like two in the morning. And I had, I, this is, if you asked me to make a list of things that I thought I would experience on cruise ships, this would never, ever have come up. An entirely Indonesian rock cover band just for crew so I could get as shitty as I wanted. Oh, okay. So this, yeah. Oh my God. The, the, uh, the guests would not give a shit. Uh, not, not, not in a million years. Um, yeah. the, none of these events ever uh fourth of july obviously canada day we would usually do something for the guests but everything else this is just for crew the um india independence day they they blocked off one of the one of the uh dining rooms and that was they want a space that's usually guests only um and they we had a huge party in there that was amazing um so yeah when it comes to the independence days they do really hook it up and try to make it fun for the crew yeah. because like our again like annie said we are working seven days a week uh, usually eight hours a day. Sometimes, you know, on a light day, it might be like four to five, but generally it's like eight to 10 hour days. Yeah, and people worked harder than me and Jacob. Oh my let's God. Not, let's not pretend that we were the hardest working people on the ship either. Like yeah. people worked harder hours with less guest interaction, less sunlight, less, yeah. abil less ability to move around the ship. Like you're ranked when you get on board, you're ranked with stripes. And depending on your stripes and your level, you're, like you can do certain things or you can get certain things. So like if you're um, maybe working in the laundry below deck, you might have zero stripes. So you might not have as nice a cabin. Um, you're not allowed to go to guest areas. You're not like you have all these restrictions, right? And the higher up you climb, the less restrictions that you have. Like for me and Jacob, we were two stripes and we had access to go to the guest areas whenever we want and, and go to restaurants and different things. But most then of the above, bars, yeah. Above us, managers would like get their own cabin with a window. There was this whole thing about like, oh, if you can get a window, then you've made it on a cruise ship. If you can get or a if you can sleep with someone with a window, then you've made it on a cruise ship. Just having a single cabin because uh 
two and a half stripes is where you get a single cabin, right? Yeah. That was manager. That was like your manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my manager as well. And and then three stripes, you get like a big single cabin. But if you could just get a single cabin, then you automatically would be like, hey, everybody come party in my cabin. I don't have a roommate to deal with. We can and, just hang out. And yeah. That's and people want to be your friend because you can mm -hmm. get room service and like you can get other benefits on board. So you, your like popularity just automatically increases. People want to hang out with you. So what people was wanna... what was y'all's ranking? We were two stripers. Yeah. Okay. Even when as the assistant a... manager, I was a two striper, but I I did get my own cabin when I was the assistant manager, but not a window. It was very small. Yeah. They so um, certain people of uh, for certain jobs and also of certain rank get a single share where you have your own cabin, but you just share the bathroom. Whereas in my situation, I had a roommate and we had our own bathroom in our cabin, but we shared a, a living space as well. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Yeah. I had a question that you kind of already answered, but I guess this is more, you, you've talked about the hierarchy within the staff, but I was doing a little research on this uh, cruise company and I'm wondering about if you can walk me through the classes in terms of clientele, because like Voyager class is supposed to be the highest um, within that organization. Am I wrong? That's that's the class of ships. You're, you're slightly mixing them up, I think, right? Jacob? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, they have different classes of ships depending on when they came out, when they built them and the style that they built them in. And the size. Um, and then, and the size and that they're the different class of ships. Um, in terms of the guest class classes, um, it, it, does, it does make a lot of a difference. Like when I was in management, it was a huge deal. Like if you upset a guest, and you looked at like what level they ranked in. If you upset a guest that ranks higher, oh, you're gonna have to do so much more work. Like if you upset a guest and they're just a first time cruiser or a second, like, it's like, oh, okay, we fix it. But Welcome. you know, yeah, we're not gonna spend as much time and energy fixing the problem. Let's put it that way. If you, depending on the issue. But if you upset a guest like over the most trivial stuff, the most trivial stuff, like, like we had, uh, they had to wait in line for five minutes to drop off their kid, or they had to like, you had to bend over backwards for these people. You know, someone yeah. didn't smile at them one time and they took their name and they're a, they're a pinnacle guest. And, and so they're so important that we have to be like, okay, track down that staff. Oh, we're finding them, get them to like, go to the person with a goodie bag of all free stuff. And then say, I'm really sorry. And smile really brightly. Like, we had to bend over backwards for these people because they were throwing money down. So this is the type of shit, when I was asking for a horror story, what I'm now realizing I was actually asking is, tell me about some of the shitty clientele. Oh God. And just like, cause it sounds like that was plentiful. Yeah, there were so many people that felt like they were so justified to treat you and everyone else like absolute crap just because they had money. And, you know, because they paid, like the people that bought the suites, like the suites were ridiculously expensive. And so those people just felt like they owned everyone and you had to do everything for them. And like in the kids club, we don't treat the kids differently. We were like, there's nothing that we do in our program that would treat the children in, differently at all when they're in the club for their class. Like, of course not. Like we're not gonna give them first turn at dodgeball. Or, you know, we're not going to like or priority seat for the movie. Pick, yeah. Not let them pick the movie for all the kids. I was like, no, of course not. But the parents are so like, what's the word privileged and mm -hmm. like that 
it's not that their expectations, um, there's a problem with their expectations of having like good service, of course not, but they want better service than someone else. They want you to show them that they're better than the other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about good service for everyone. It's about, I need better service than X person is getting. And how dare you make me wait in a line with these people that I'm better than. Well, there's privilege and then there's entitlement. And it sounds That's like what it. you're yeah. talking about more is entitled people. So I, I have a somewhat amusing story about um, one time I was uh, doing a greeting thing on like the first or second or no, it was it was a port day. And I was standing by the, the port and I was standing by the, the uh, gate and getting letting people get off, helping people get off the ship right next to the loyalty desk on the, the ship. I was on the loyalty desk is right by the exit and people had to walk by it. And I was friends. with So the loyalty, there's a loyalty ambassador whose entire job is. So there's two ways to get um, privilege slash entitlement on the ship. It's either buy one of the big fancy suites or accumulate enough cruise points because you get like loyal, there's levels of the loyalty program. Uh, the bottom level is gold and the, and gold means that you've cruised for seven days. Then you enter the gold program. They really tease you with like, oh, but now you're gold level. And then it goes up from there. Um, gold level means almost nothing. Nothing. It, and it, when people say I'm gold, you just kind of go, mm -hmm. yeah. Then, then, then it's platinum, then emerald. And then when you get to, and then I think diamond was next, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, and then was, there's the black casino cards as well. Like if you're a high roller in the casino. You, casino. Yeah. But we it, didn't it deal with them very much. It depends on how much money you throw down. Either you yeah. throw down money for a suite, you throw down money in the casino, or you buy enough cruises that you've thrown down enough money over time. Right. It's either you throw down money all at once or you throw down a lot of money gradually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this guy was at the loyalty desk demanding. He was, so, he was genuinely irate that his five-year-old daughter's room key which says your loyalty level didn't say the loyalty level and that loyalty level was gold gold me again gold means you get one extra card at bingo it means so little and this guy was like well i'm not leaving until you reprint her card that it's in, that, in her room key so it says gold on it yeah for nothing and they want you to bend all the rules for them even if you know we have to run things utilitarian right it's the greatest good for the greatest number you know like we're, we're trying to service a, a huge population of guests, right? And you are not an individual if you're on a cruise ship. You are part of, you know, 6,000 on the biggest ships of the mm -hmm. people that we're serving right now. And like, you know, they want to have all the rules belt bent for them. Like on one of the ships I worked on, we had a black light puppet show. And the actors, the people that put on the show were all in black and you couldn't see them. And then we used the UV lights to show the puppets. Right. If we had any natural or, you know, normal light in there, it would completely ruin the show, completely ruin the show. Like all the children, all the, everyone would be able to see the people there. The magic's gone. Right? I will. I, I would like to say real quick. It's a very good show. It's a very good show. I watched it. Uh, it we, we had it on the last two ships that we worked on together. It yeah. was on both ships and it's really good. But the issue we had nearly every single week was that, you know, we have a time that the show is meant to start. We put in all the information, please get there early. You can't leave when the show starts. You can't enter when the show starts. You have to be there on time. The door cannot open once the show has begun. It can't open, it ruins it. Um, and every, every week we would have a guest getting irate about it. And the worst one was someone screaming, this is in the middle of the children's area, middle of the children's area, children everywhere running around swearing their face off screaming at a staff member so i come out and i'm like i'm the assistant manager so i'm the person that gets paid slightly more even though not enough to get screamed at so i'm like okay you're off the you're off the clock i'll, I'll deal with it 
no calming this person down, screaming at me. I was like, you can come back later. We're showing it again at these times. Nothing. Swearing, F you, mother effer, what a bitch, this, that. And Annie, you, you can swear on the show. She was a single adult that couldn't get into a children's puppet show because she arrived mm. 10 minutes late. She didn't even have kids. No, no kids. Oh my God. I didn't, I don't remember this. Yeah. There was Disgusting. another, there was another family a while ago that, you know, were also very aggressive with me, but you know, at least I could kind of empathize with them because they had their kid and they promised their kid. And it was the last show that we had. And the kid was upset because they, they, you know, you know, what it's like getting kids moving anywhere and being on time for stuff. I get that. It's hard, but this was just a single woman that had too much to drink probably and wanted to <laughs> go in the puppet show and decided that it was the be all end all and she was going to take everything out on a member of staff because she's so entitled. You know, that, that's some of the people we worked with and it was a small percentage. I, I'll give you that. It was a very small percentage. There were a lot of fantastic, lovely people on board, but especially in a management role, it took up 90% of my time working with these kind of people. And so that's what you end up seeing and thinking about when I think of cruise ships. Yeah, right? that's the takeaway. It was yeah. very odd to like, we, we would have meetings sometimes before a cruise would happen where my manager would say, oh, this person who was a problem guest is coming back. So we need to make sure that they don't have the same problems they had last time. So really it's about 1% of the crew, 1% of the guests taking up about 70% of our time and energy. It's, that sounds like a pretty good allegory for American society. Yeah. And I mean, other societies yeah. for that matter. I mean, every, uh, except for the, my brief time in Australia season where I feel I, I didn't handle as many complaints during that time. But the one complaint I got was that I talked too fast because they don't understand my accent. I don't have an accent. Your continent has an accent. No, I don't. This is what people sound like on television. I sound like the cast of England, Friends, damn it. In England, they sound like me, so. That, no, England's made up. Uh, I'm going to do a pivot here. But <laughs> <laughs> before we, we go down that rabbit hole, I was just thinking about the idea of a cruise. It's just so unnatural. Not to say it's a bad thing, but it's just like pretty much everything besides the ocean itself is manufactured the food, the controlled climate, the swimming pools, all of the features and amenities. You're just in this manufactured fucking Truman Show world in the middle of the sea. That mm -hmm. that must have been just such a, a mind fuck to get used to. And even for the guests, I mean, not to excuse, you know, the unruly guest behavior, but I feel like a lot of people when they first get on a cruise are way out of their comfort zone because it's mm -hmm. just so strange. Yeah. I you know. Did you feel weird the first time that you, you were on the ship and it started moving? Um, really, you don't notice it that much. I, th I feel like you acclimatized quickly. Uh, the, the real thing I think that messed the guests over was how they sold it. Like when you actually scrape the surface and you talk to some of these people, they were there because they, their marriage was breaking down <laughs> or they had no communication with their children or they hadn't spoken to their parents in a while and they wanted to get on a cruise. They're marketed as fixing families. <laughs> and like, this is gonna be, you know, all the issues that you have at home are gonna completely disappear. And this is gonna be perfect and amazing. And it's not, I mean, like, I think Jacob's thinking of the Adam Sandler sketch. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, thinking of that too. Yeah. Yeah, Real quick, like I, that, I would like our listeners to pause this podcast. Please come back after you pause <laughs> it. But Google um, Adam Sandler SNL tour, tour guide 
sketch, go into YouTube. It's when this episode came out while we were still working on ships. And I remember feeling this unmistakable, unique feeling of catharsis, seeing this man, Adam Sandler, who has never worked in this industry and playing this character who said, look, here's the problem here. This, if, if everyone who ever went on a vacation watched this sketch before they went and really managed their expectations, then it would completely solve, oh my God, more, definitely more than half of our problems, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I remember once, um, this just sums it up, and, and I really think that this is the same for a lot of people. We experience a lot of trauma in our lives and things happen, of course. We go on vacation and we think, you know, it's gonna fix it, it's gonna make it better. Um, but you take those things with you. I mean, I had a man who was screaming at guest services and I went down and he screamed at me at first, but I calmed him down because his wife couldn't sing karaoke at teenage karaoke. We had one hour of teenage karaoke every cruise and every other day was adult karaoke at any other time she could have done it, but she had to do it during the teenagers. And the staff member quite rightly said no, because we don't have adults interacting with the teens, you know, it's separate. Um, But she wanted to dedicate a song to her mother who had just died and that's what the issue was the issue was that these people were facing grief it had nothing to do with karaoke but this man was channel channeling all these feelings he had about how his wife was sad and dealing with that into shouting at at people that worked for him that you know and you know guest services aren't therapists we're not therapists you know we're we're trying to provide just a clear service for these people and you know i managed to like fix it and calm him down and and make sure that his wife could do another day i i called a colleague and made sure they sorted it out and you know I that was me happy. <laughs> yeah i made them happy in the short term but like that's not fixing their problem that's not why they're mad or upset this isn't that big of an issue just having a turn to sing but yeah, I felt like a lot of guests were carrying that kind of emotional baggage with them when they got on board. Um, and like, yeah. yeah, I mean, to get back to your question as well, Mike, about it being kind of like a fake, fake world. I don't think we felt, I, I can't speak for Jacob, but as a crew member, I don't think I felt like that because it was my life and what was happening behind the scenes. You see everything that goes into creating this kind of like plastic world. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't look like that when you're in the crew areas it's like not as nice. It's, it's rough. It's, it's rough around the edges. And it, you know, as soon as you walk in there, you can tell that the paint is chipped and stuff like that. And like, you see the preparation that goes into making these beautiful displays of food and stuff. You see the people working hard and you see the messy lives that people are leaving, leading behind the, the, the doors and behind the kind of glamour that's going on outside. Tying into the manufactured experiences question, I know that this particular cruise company company has resorts in places that maybe shouldn't have resorts. For example, I was reading about the one in Haiti called, is it Labadee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was that an odd feeling being in these bubbles within impoverished areas? Yeah, I I can talk a little bit about that as well, because I mean, I went once, there's a program they do at Christmas time where they invite all the children from like the local towns and villages to come into the resort area and um, staff members give out presents to the kids and they take them home. Uh, That was probably the weirdest experience I had because it is a bubble, but you don't really think about it when you're there, but actually coming face to face with children who are facing poverty. And then like, it it was uncomfortable to me because it was very much like a, um, 
I wanted to do good and I've like wanted to do charity, uh, you know, and, and work with kids. I've worked with kids from, you know, um, lower income families before um, in various parts of the world and also back home. But um, it felt a little staged and it felt a little bit like the crew members were like trying to give back. But, you know, there's issues around charity, right? You know, the, the kind of like white savior complex, the kind yeah. of like, look how good I am. Like a lot of crew members were taking selfies with the children and being like, look at me giving the kids a present. I just felt like it was very inappropriate um, the way that some people were reacting to it. it. It just felt a little like the kids were like on show, on display, like for people's entertainment. And that part of it, I didn't love. But saying that, I want to tell the other side, the company has invested a lot of money in Haiti. They have invested a lot of money in local programs, in local schools. They sponsor a local school. It's a huge amount of income for the workers that actually are able to come into the resort. It likes so much so that people have moved. They used to be villages just outside the resort. They're not really villages anymore. They've become towns. People have moved there in force because this resort sustains so many people that live on the other side of the resort and gives them so much more of an income and opportunities that they didn't have before. So there's that side of it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, and there's always going to be this dichotomy when you're in an area like that and you're experiencing something luxurious. You hope that the people that are in charge of the luxurious thing, in this case, the resort, will give back in some way to -hmm. that community. Yeah, and they do. They have they have charitable programs. I mean, when they had hurricanes across the Caribbean, um, Royal Caribbean were, were giving money and um, helping to rebuild a lot of the ports in these areas because it, tourism was the main income for a lot of these these kind of more developing countries. And right. I think with Haiti as well, while I can't you know I can't give a bigger picture yes it's weird to go around the resort and think there are fences around here and there are guards um this is like so shut off and so far away from an actual authentic experience of visiting this place but on the other hand you can't take away from the kind of money and the injection of like resources and like opportunities that that this resort has given at least that part of the island um it's 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 tough. It's like it, I don't know. It, it's it's a tough one. Going back to hierarchy, this is we're kind of jumping back and forth, and I really like how we're yeah. we're peppering this talk with horror stories about shitty clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I want to know about the captain. Is the captain actually the highest ranking member, or is it just like the person that operates the ship? Yeah, I mean, I. I on one of my ships, I actually really got to know the captains. Um, so yes, to answer your question, yes, he, they are the highest ranking member of the ship. Um, they're in charge of literally everyone. It doesn't mean that they know all the ins and outs because obviously they delegate. Um, then they have a few people below them, but, but yes, they, they are in charge. Um, they're actually the one that's responsible for uh, firing you. Another name for a captain is a master. And they hold a master's hearing if they need to dismiss any staff member. And it's ultimately the captain's say whether you go home or not. Um, when we've had some staff members that we had to 
put to a master's hearing for certain things. We'd provide evidence, um, a manager would go and speak. Someone might speak on behalf of the person to defend them. Someone might speak and say, you know what, they've been a terrible employee because of X, Y, Z. And then the captain decides if they get sent home or not. Um, and and they're involved all... on big situations, like yeah. situations we've had on board with safeguarding, with like, you know, the FBI and stuff like that, you know, when we've had issues around children being safeguarded, the, the captain's involved, they have a say and they're overseeing those high intense issues. And this is all happening while they're driving the boat? Driving they don't the drive ship? The boat. Oh, captains, okay. they, I, we vis I visited the brig, uh, the, not the brig, different, different the, thing. The, the brig bridge? is where we. The brig is where they hold people. It's like a cell on board, like a jail. Um, the bridge is where they drive the ship. The captain oversees it. His um, his quarters are actually right next door to the bridge, but um, it's other people. Like the first officers drive the ship, okay. um, and and they drive it under the direction of the captain. But they have well laid out paths and maps that they frequently navigate. Only if there's like issues, like um, weather concerns, or like um, some kind of piloting issues or that they're, they're in an area where um, the depth is not very deep. I can't think of a better way to say that. Shallow? Shallow. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me today? <laughs> yeah, shallow. Then they might get the captain involved or to oversee those kind of more higher risk um, things when they're so driving. The, the captain is capable of operating the ship if necessary. Yes. A lot of the time yes. the captain was at one point a first officer or something like that and then they just make their way up. Yeah, they make yeah. their way up. Yeah, they, they work their way up and they, they do qualifications while they do that. Uh, fun fact about driving the ship. This is something that I learned very late in my ship's career, but uh, the person who parks the ship, who actually docks the ship in the dock is not a crew member. It's someone that they get from the port who that's their job. They send a little boat out to pick them up. They bring them onto the ship. They park, then they get off. Then when the ship leaves, they drive it out. Then they get on a little, sh a little ship while we're moving and they go back. It's like a valet. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. every, I, I mean, I, I can't speak to all of this, but I saw it happen a few times because they they open one of the big doors. So it's, they they hop onto a, a little dinghy while the boat, while the uh, the cruise ship is steering away. What are they called? They're called the pilot, the something pilot. I don't remember. I can't, I can't remember. They have a specific name for that particular job of parking it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and they know the crew because they're like, oh, see, you, see you next week. See you when you're back. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's very amusing how but we have- Two thousand crew members, and none of yeah. them could park. <laughs> but the captain often doesn't interact that much with a lot of the crew, especially if they're on a big ship. With yeah. like, on our biggest ships, we had over three thousand crew members. So you know, the captain's not really interacting much with them. I got to know the captains because um, they, one of the captains in one of my ships, loved kids, which was cool. And he decided um, that once a cruise, he was going to come down to the kids' club and answer questions from the children. So the children could all like sit down and then all ask him and interview him different questions, which was hilarious because he does this with adult guests who are like, you know, like, how do you navigate and all these other questions. And the kids are just like, you like chicken nuggets? <laughs> Where does my poop go? Like, it's, it's brilliant. Like uh, That one came up. I used to host the adult Q&A and that one came up in the, adult um, Q the poop one. Now that we're on the subject, <laughs> where does the poop go? Um, good. Okay, now I have to remember. They have their own water purification systems on board, and right. um, you actually have to learn this when you sign on. It's like it's really intense learning about it. But they they kind of separate it into like black water and gray water. Now I might be wrong. I might not be getting this perfect, but like there's some waters that they will purify and reuse, 
And there's some waters that they will treat and then let go into the ocean. So poop and stuff like that will be treated first and then released. And then I, I think like pool water and sink water and stuff like that will be treated and then reused on board. Okay, so the excrement is treated, mm -hmm. therefore it's okay to dump into the ocean. I'm not even saying this yeah. facetiously. I, yeah, it's the same with the food, you know, the food on board that all gets wasted. Um, yeah. that there's so much food waste on board um, because of, you know, uh, there's, for example, you can't have food out for more than four hours. So like even in the nursery with the babies, we'd get the food in, but once it passed the four hour limit, got to go. So that all gets put in like a big kind of like shredder blender. It gets all chopped up into tiny little pieces and then also gets um, shot out of the boat into the ocean. They're only allowed to do that at certain depths, only where it's really deep and not near the coast. Yeah, I, I definitely want to clarify that as much as we enjoyed our time working on ships, more or less, um, cruise ships are definitely really, really bad for the environment. Well, like, there's, gonna, no, there's no question that this I is- I was going to ask, like, yeah. do you get pushback from environmental groups? Not that we personally have experienced. Right. But, yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, the company we worked for was meant to, according to their information or propaganda, however According you to their it, information. Yeah, go above and beyond the restrictions. That, uh, like, I don't know if that's a reflection on the laws and how few laws there are protecting the environment or whether this company was actually going really above and beyond. Um, but yeah, the, the way they spoke about it was that they were trying to be more environmentally friendly. There's definitely recycling and stuff on board. But like, I don't know, you're on a massive cruise ship that uses a ton of, energy and needs a ton of water and wastes a ton of food how great could it be and not that i know anything about maritime law but i have to imagine there are lots of times where you're in international waters and so you don't even know like what nation's jurisdiction you're in or like what is okay that's true do. but there are laws governing that as well you know there, there are laws governing governing like um the discharge of chemicals or like uh, black water or th there are there are laws that that cover everywhere like maritime laws like for um workers for example i don't know too much about the whole you know the environmental laws but for workers although you know workers don't have the same rights that they would have on land in accordance with where you live there's um the international labor organization that, that dictates certain laws for workers no matter where they are see it also um, has to do with where the ship or the company is registered like because our company was based in the united states but all the ships are registered in the bahamas we sort of operate under like a mix of laws from those places for yeah, stuff yeah but the, definitely the international labor organization dictated for example the main law that we had to comply with was that um workers in a 24-hour period had to have 10 hours off so you couldn't work more than 14 hours in a 24 hour period. That being said, those 10 hours don't have to be straight. You could have a six hour break and a four hour break and it still be deemed okay within 24 hours. So you don't get a full night's sleep necessarily, not all the workers. It would be yeah, perfectly they're... acceptable to give you a break from 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then just another four hour break in the afternoon from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. So they basically find a loophole for just overworking their staff. I mean, they've always been able to overwork their staff to the absolute grind. I mean, you're not paid by the hour, you're salaried by the, the week or- uh, We weren't paid by the hour, but other teams were. Really? 
Yeah, that's why we had to. That's why we had to clock in and out because they wanted everybody to clock in and out. But oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, but yeah. It's still, yeah, it's still rough. I mean, one person explained it to me once that you know, like the pay is very low and it's very low for a lot of job roles. Um, but they're working it out kind of like as a mean for the international average. So, you know, like what, what I earned wouldn't carry over that well in England, but it was a lot of money if you lived in the Ukraine mm -hmm. um, or in Ukraine. Um, I, when, I, when I was making my first contract was I would call an okay living wage for where I was before I started working on ships, which was Brooklyn. Um, but I mean, I, I would have been like, had I been making that exact same amount of money, I would have been making rent, getting groceries, living a, a pretty basic, no frills lifestyle. But mm -hmm. a lot of these people from other countries take that exact same amount of money, they go home on vacation and they're balling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, they really do underpay a lot of people that work in, um, I don't know, like the dining room or, yeah. you know, some of the kind of like... Uh, oh yeah, I can only speak to my yes, role. Job yeah, guest-facing positions on board. Um, you know, like being a dishwasher, they're really underpaid. But then they still, people are like, well, it's still more pay than I get at home. So maybe it's not a fair wage compared to America, but it's still a fair wage compared to what they would earn at home. Yeah. We've talked a lot about uh, the, the sometimes literally shitty aspects <laughs> of cruise ships, but it does take you to all kinds of places around the world. And I know that you've been to many places as a result of working on ships. Were there any place in particular that you got to spend an extended amount of time and like get to know the area? Yeah, um, I was quite lucky on my first contract. Um, uh, my first ship went out of Singapore and traveled around Thailand and Malaysia. Um, and they were quite short cruises. They were like three and four days. So every three and four days, I was going back to Singapore as our home port. And just the way it worked out with the team and the fact that we didn't have a huge amount of kids on board, I would get a lot of time off in Singapore. And so every turnaround day, that's the day where the cruise starts again and the other guests leave, I would get off, go around Singapore, check out the art. They have beautiful art galleries, some fantastic museums there. Um, they have an amazing zoo. They have amusement parks. They have great shopping. Like there was so much that that city had to offer and we docked right there. And that we... As I recall, we talked about Singapore last time and how you really loved it and mm -hmm. how I was there for two days just as a via point. It was during my honeymoon mm -hmm. uh, and we went and stayed at a hotel there and it was so unbelievably hot and humid yeah. that we're just like, we can't fucking do it. Like, there's probably a lot of cool shit to do here. We stayed in our hotel. We like went to the pool, stayed in our hotel room, like... We stayed in that, you know, big epic at Marina Bay Sands, mm -hmm. I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Like Beautiful. the three towers with the, yeah, the, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. No, it's but, like, it's like three towers and it has almost what looks like a boat on top. Like yes. floating on top. It's like oh, very seen that distinctive. Yeah, very distinctive part of the Singaporean skyline. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It you were was, right next yeah. to the botanical gardens, gardens and by the bay. I, one of my biggest regrets from that whole honeymoon is not going to check that out. Because yeah. we were literally next door to it, and we were just like, there's so many people here. It's so hot. Like, my anxiety just sort of, like, went through the roof when we tried to go. I'm like, fuck it. Nope. Let's just go straight to the airport. I'm done. I'm done in Singapore. I think, I think in Singapore, you you maybe need to know, like, what, like, I would always research before 
I mean, this is part of not having much time and always being on the time constraint, but I would always look up something before and just be like, okay, well, I could get a cab there or I can get the metro there or whatever. And I just be like, okay, drop me at this mall or drop me at this museum or drop me at Gardens by the Bay. I wouldn't have like gone for a walk, if you know what I mean. Like it's too, it's too hot. Like it's really, really hot there. It's not like in Europe where you're just like, oh, put me in the center of town and I'll have a wonder and look at the pretty buildings. No, like you're not going for a walk there. You're going to like a cool destination. You're going to check it out with the air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Or like Gardens by the Bay, it doesn't have air conditioning, but two of the, I think they're called biodomes are like inside and they're not too hot. So yeah, there's places. <laughs> so Singapore was a big one for you. Anywhere else that you really got to spend quality time? Got to explore. I mean, I did a contract in Europe, which was great. And we docked a lot in this it was so funny because we were such a big ship, but we docked in this beautiful little place called Ville France. Ville French. I'm probably not saying Ville Franche. Ville Franche, yeah. Ville and it was really cute. It was like built into the hillside. It was very small. It had some really lovely restaurants and great food. And this is in there, France. Could, this is in France, yeah, in the south of France. And you could easily get to like Monaco or you could go to Nice. Like there were so many places that you could visit from there. Or I went to, gosh, where did I go? Where they make perfume. But yeah, yeah, I went to like a perfume factory one day from there. Like there were so many nice places that you could visit from there. Or you could just be like, I'm going to have really good French food and just chill out here. They had a little beach. It was really cute. I almost felt like we ruined it because it was such a small, beautiful little European town. Like it was tiny and like thousands of guests would just come ashore and just like overpopulate this small area and I kind of just every time I'd be like there's just too many people like it's a beautiful place I'd love to go back to and I did get to know it quite well but well that's one thing that Americans and Brits have in common we're real good at going to a place and just fucking everything up (laughs) just like too much yeah our Brits are the best at that like god we do that all over Europe yeah yeah I mean there were places I went when I was traveling in Europe and I was like oh I didn't realize that this was a beautiful European city because I'd only heard of the resort that all the Brits go to that's like 20 minutes down the road and hadn't actually checked out like like Palma um Palma de see I'm not saying anything right Palma de Mallorca 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 Palma de Mallorca it's the Spanish island we're talking about Yeah, and Palmer is the main city. And I had no idea how beautiful the city was, how many beautiful shops and and it has a fantastic cathedral. And it's just stunning because I'd always thought of it when people go, they go to like resorts, you know, and like party towns where it's just bars and like people serving British breakfasts and stuff and not the actual like beautiful cities with their architecture and yeah. I don't want to experience Spanish cuisine. I just want my blood pudding, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and my bacon. Yeah. And a beer. I will say that it is interesting to go to your favorite chains in other countries and see how they do things differently. Sure, but this isn't like tra- chains. This is just like, oh, you know, a lot of expats maybe moving out there. and Yeah, just I just, I just like mean that like... Britain, but with sun <laughs> instead of rain. When I went to Fiji, I went to McDonald's and they fry their fries in coconut oil instead of uh, whatever oil they use in America. And they do taste better. Cool. Yeah. But they also charge you 25 cents for a ketchup packet. So fuck that. Fuck Fiji. Yeah. 
Just yeah, when I went to Malaysia, I was surprised that the KFCs, like their standard isn't to serve the chicken with fries, it's to serve it with rice. That's very interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. If there's anything that you took from this experience <laughs> is seeking out fast food in remote island nations. In Australia, Burger King is called Hung Hungry Jack's and there is no difference between that and American Burger King. Really? Same logo, it just says Hungry Jack's instead of Burger King and the menu is identical. That's a true story. That's true. Yeah. In uh, the McDonald's I went to in Numia, New Caledonia, had cheesecake. Oh. Yeah. I've got to admit, I didn't right. go to that many McDonald's. and. Uh, I only went places. to McDonald's if I knew I was going to go to that port repeatedly. I was like, I'll do the local stuff. I'll do the fun, interesting stuff. But at some point, I just want to know what their McDonald's is like. I'm just <laughs> now realizing you're wearing a Pizza Hut t-shirt. Oh, no. Actually, this says Pizza Slut. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I was. <laughs> you are a pizza slut. Yeah, I'm a super pizza me, slut. Me too. <laughs> so generally, this question wouldn't be relevant, but in this case, it absolutely is. Since you two met on a ship, I want to know about the Annie and Jacob origin story. How did okay. that play out? Do you want to tell it? Or yeah. So, um. I, we, uh, we met on my second contract and this was your first contract as assistant manager. If I, Correct, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm nearly positive. That's true, but I just want to confirm. And uh, yeah, it, there wasn't really any particular, you know, I'd been on board for maybe a month. You'd been there for uh, maybe two, a, a little bit longer. Been on board for less time. Really? Okay. Yeah, um, well, when did you get on board? Because Oh, geez. Hanging out in May. So uh, oh, so, okay. So um, it was, it was a, about a month after you got married, Mike. Yeah. So that was April. That was April, 2018. April, tw yeah. April, 2018. So I got there like mid-May. Yeah. Um, I, I think we met pretty quickly then because like our anniversary of going on a first date is like the 25th of May. Oh my God. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So maybe early May. Where did you go on your first date? Uh, <laughs> so, um, Good question. Our, our first date on board was uh, every ship in the fleet has a steakhouse. And we went to the steakhouse. Very um, nice. But then oh, I think our first date on land was, oh, well, and then uh, we went to uh, Atlantis, the resort in the Bahamas. We did. That was nice. But, but your friend was one there. One of my friends came too. Yeah, it was more like you guys had plans. And then I was like, what are you up to? And we hadn't been dating that long for you to be like, this is too close. You're smothering me. So uh, I, I just went with you. And it was cute. I mean, we got photos. Yeah. We got pictures. We, we got pictures. You guys got pictures. It was it was a nice day. He, she didn't seem that about, bothered. The thing is about ships is like you're, you don't have that much time. And people always looking to go and do things like with you. So like yeah. quite often you'd go as like a group or with a few people, you yeah. know, like, Makes and sense. like if your friend had a day off with at the same time you did and like it would, you're going to the same place or going to check out the same thing. It, it kind of feels a bit crappy to be like, you can't come because it's just us. Yeah. Or the situation yeah. that I was in, which was literally like, I want to hang out. What are you specifically doing? Yeah. Is it cool yeah, if I come? Had, yeah. Yeah. Plans before. But then that was that time that we went to the movies and it was the first, that was one of our first dates. That, well. Yeah. We saw uh, Deadpool 2, which is a great date movie. Yeah. Uh, and um, we were hanging out with another crew member right before we went. He's like, what are you guys going to do in Porto? This is in Florida. This is where, where the ship, this is a turnaround day. And I was like, oh, we're going to go to the movies. And he's like, oh, what are you going to see? Uh, Deadpool 2. Oh, uh, can I come? And I was like, oh, I mean, I don't remember what time it is. Anyway, bye. And then we left. Um, this was legitimately the first time we got left the ship just us together. Yes. It was like, oh, this is just going to be an us day. And he ended up 
anyway coming to the movie fi- like yeah. finding out the showing he split off to get something and we we're like okay he's not coming with us now and then all of a sudden he's sitting next to us yeah we took like, the shuttle to the theater together which is also a mall and he's like okay i'm gonna shop and i was like cool and then he just showed up and sat next to it in the theater in my memory and i know this isn't what happened but in my memory he was sitting between us that's 100 not what happened that's definitely that's not what happened how, how it felt like but in terms yeah. of our origin story we met at the crew bar yeah because there's a crew bar um where you can get a couple of drinks we just like we you know our teams know each other because they work and mingle there's a couple of things that you staff do that jacob's team crew staff would do too yeah so although i hadn't really met him yet like i my teammates kind of knew him so we were just kind of chatting and then all of a sudden i don't know if you've had this at a bar where like you're chatting as a group and then two people just kind of connect and then all of a sudden it's just you two chatting because everyone else is just like oh we can't get a word in edgeways there yeah and then it was just us kind of chatting and hanging out for the night, which was nice. Yeah. And then we just kind of, from there, we just sort of started dating. And then uh, there's a thing that you have to do. Oh, here's, here's a fun fact about ships. If you want to stay on the same ship, if when your contract ends, if you want to do your next contract with the same person, you have to register with the company and say, we're a registered couple. And they require you to have some form of legal thing from somewhere that says either you're married or you're uh, domestic partnership or something. And so we got, but we, we, now we've been married for nearly two years. Yeah. Um, but before that we got a domestic partnership in the U S Virgin islands, um, which cost what? $15. Yeah. I don't think it's legally sound. We've had a, no. at a lawyer since, but at the time we thought we, notarized. Were, um, we thought we were domestically path, uh, partnered yeah. and the ship accepted it. So yeah, whatever. But yeah, that was the fun thing we, I don't even know you. That's crazy. And even like, then, I if you do that, isn't legally binding yeah. anywhere but St. Thomas. Basically, it was a domestic partnership, but this is terrible. I remember looking up at the time. It was the alternative they had to marriage for um, the LGBT community. Because gay marriage didn't make it out to the Virgin Islands, and uh, I don't know. I, gay rights didn't make it there. there. Yeah. yeah, and so th- this really was just for insurance purposes that they had this to extend insurance purposes to somebody else. So th- it really didn't mean much in this legal system from what I remember looking up. Yeah. But still, when I was telling people back home, they're like, you just met this random guy and got a domestic partnership in a Caribbean island. What are you doing? And then I was like, <laughs> I don't know. And then I did one more contract and they're like, you've just known this guy and you're going to move to America and marry him. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it was a ballsy move. Yeah. It's a ballsy move, yeah. But like the the, the thing that out. I always the thing that I always tell people about um, ships is, I mean, at this point, uh, so literally, literally, my first day on ships when my first manager was taking me on a tour, he took me. He at one point he just mentioned like you know a lot of people meet the person that they eventually marry while working on ships. Um, so he, I, I don't know how uh, Joe called his shot like that, but like yeah, damn, he he called it real hard for but me. Wasn't your reply like <laughs> no? Uh, I don't know if I verbalized that, but that was what was in my head at the time. Um, But like, because so like, if you meet someone on land, and you like them, then you might start texting, you might go on a date, you might see them like once or twice a week. But like, it it takes a little while for the relationship to really build. you've got your own stuff going on takes a little while for the relationship to really build on ships, you're living in the same building with not very like uh, and so you you just see each other so much more frequently and you can go on you can hang out so much more frequently and so i'd say that our uh year a year and change on ships really felt more like three maybe four years of relationship just because yeah. of the like amount of I mean, time we spent together you eat breakfast lunch dinner in the same place every single day yep you live on the we lived on the same corridor 
we went to the same bar every night like you even if you're trying to avoid someone it's really hard yeah if you, you know, like, if you I have a breakup on ships so oh boy hard. wait what if, if, if a breakup happens on ships, this isn't something that I experienced, but if, if th that does happen, then it's really, especially if you are in the same division or the, or God forbid the same team, yeah. it's a So nightmare. you were talking over me and I just made a mean joke, but it didn't sound like, a, it didn't sound like a joke because you were talking. Oh, I just you did. That was a joke. That was a joke. You did uh, just talk over her, you piece of shit. Yeah. What was the joke you were making, Annie? Sorry, I didn't. Uh, he said it's hard to avoid people. And I said, I know. I tried to avoid Jacob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I try to avoid me every day. <laughs> he was there, but you're right. I've I've seen a lot of friends and things go through breakups on cruise ships, and it's just like so incredibly awkward because no matter what, you're gonna bump into them breakfast, lunch, and dinner mm -hmm. every single night. Maybe have to work with them. Or like, for instance, this is again, this isn't something that I experienced personally. But if you're the type of person who likes to date multiple people. Uh, yeah. that's very easy to do on land because you can keep several separate social circles. You can date someone and then, and not even like, you know, declare, but if you hook up with someone and then decide, oh, actually, I want to hook up with this other person too, you can really, really destroy your reputation with everyone. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're a woman, it destroys your reputation. If you're a man, it builds your reputation, right? Oh, no. I'm thinking of one person in particular who everyone was like, dickhead, after like, oh, okay. he'd been on board for maybe two weeks. And people are like, oh, well, fuck, I feel fuck like that guy. so much misogyny on board. Yeah, that is like, also, that is know, a, like, a major men problem. Are players and they're the best. And then like, women are, you know, sluts. And like, it's just so hard on board as well, because um, like, there's so many different cultures and their perception of women is so different. Like, sexual harassment is just rife on board. You just have to like, get used to like, the fact that like, if, I don't know, like, you know, I had managers who'd be like, oh, can you go and ask this person because you're pretty or you're pale and they'll be more likely to do it for you. Like, go go talk sweet to them and they'll help you out. Or, you know, like, I don't know. It's just weird coming back to land after working there and having all that kind of like misogyny normalized and being like, yeah, people are going to like comment on my appearance or how I look all the time or treat me differently because I'm a woman all the time. Like, I don't know. It was just so, I don't know if you noticed this, Jacob, but it was just so normalized on cruise ships. Yes. Yeah, definitely. When, when I was talking about reputation ruining, I was really talking about the dudes who were dickheads who yeah, would that. sleep with a girl and then sleep with a different girl the next week and then not have sex with anyone until everyone who knew about his shitty behavior had left. Um, I feel but like the other guy, I, I, the other I understand guy that what I was saying could that. easily be interpreted as being what, what, one at a time. Now, now that we're talking about misogyny, let's let's let uh, this woman talk. I just we? want to cover my own ass for a second. I understand that what I was saying could be interpreted as slut shaming. That's not at all what I meant. I apologize. Now, continue. The man of the pizza. Oh, slut I didn't shirt. think that's what you were saying at all. I just, oh, okay. I just, you know, I just wanted to bring that up. That like, it, it's something that I I saw a lot on cruise ships and. I'm sure that, you know, people like you and, you know, a lot of other people would condemn people for that behavior, but it was also very much built up on ships, you know, like all the sports staff being like, yeah, good for you. You're sweeping around, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and like the, the same stuff that we see on land, but just, it was very much heightened because everyone's dating everyone. It's a very young crowd. You got a lot of, a lot of different cultures with different perceptions of like how women should act or behave or be. Um, right. It's not like your ideology stays at home. Like yeah. we were kind of talking about earlier, like your problems are going to follow you. Yeah. And yeah. some people's problems involved a really kind of societally uh, enforced ideology. And that's a, that's a shame. I, I 
that makes me sad to hear that, that there was this sort of amplified sense of uh, chauvinism or misogyny on ships. Oh, I mean, male time. crew, male crew members outnumbered female crew members four, four to one or something, right? Yeah, there was that aspect really? as well, as well, that, that there just wasn't any enough women on board. So there was that, there was that aspect of it too. I mean, it's not that I didn't feel safe, but I would definitely be like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to the bar by myself. You know, like there, yeah. there should be, oh, we're not going to go to this bloke's cabin alone or, you know, that like any situation, women looked out for each other. And I think that that was apparent on cruise ships as well. And just being like on top of like, oh, who were they with and what's happening and that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't spoken about as well. You know, they, they had a really strict sexual harassment policy, but it was zero tolerance. And it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people were in situations where they might've been being harassed by someone, but they knew that if that person got fired, then their family wasn't going to eat. So what do you do? Do you just kind of like put up with it? Or, I mean, I understand that the right answer is no, you stand up for yourself and you don't accept it. And, and you say, this isn't okay and etc. But when you're actually put in that situation, like, do you go to security, create a bunch of paperwork, be a really, uh, and like jeopardize this person's family just because they don't understand and weren't brought up with the same values that I hold? Do you know what I mean? I, I'm surprised to hear you say that you thought that the sexual harassment policy was, well, I don't remember your exact word, but you referred to it as a, in a positive light, like it did a good job. And I don't necessarily. No, no, no. I didn't, don't think it did a good job at all. Like, oh, okay. I, 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 I misunderstood. Sex, I was sexually harassed on board, but then I had to live with the guilt of like, if I actually like followed through and reported this, then this person will definitely go home. Yeah. And they will be fired and they have a wife and kids to support. And they're from a country. They're not as privileged as me. So what do I use? Like, it, you know, it's hard. There's a lot of factors at play. You know, working on a cruise ship sounds like an adventure, I guess, would be the best way to put it. And yeah. it's an experience that you know, as you guys are both my friends, I'm glad you guys had that experience, not the sexual harassment part, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm glad you got to experience the ups and downs of working in this artificial world yeah. together. And I'm also glad that we're all back on land and you guys are pursuing other things now because you can't, that doesn't sound sustainable. Like it's not, yeah, it's not. The law, and also a, a few people do it for life. Their life is. Yeah, the long you do is to come percentage. back. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Annie Jacob talked over you again because he's an asshole. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing more talking, and and normally Jacob's the one that does most of the talking. So, um, no, I was just saying that I don't think it is sustainable. There's a few people that are lifers. They stay on board. They manage to make it work. But I actually think a lot of people that become lifers end up with two lives. They end up with a land life and a ship life. They end up with a wife back home and a mistress on board. You know, they end up with like family ties back home that they go back to every every once in a while and then a completely different persona and life on board. I know people that were, you know, gay on board and straight at home. You know, I, I feel like if you do this for a long period of time, you end up with two lives. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm glad you guys uh, got out of it before it transformed you in, into that type of person. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it inevitably would have, but I'm glad that we're all on land now and we can do this, uh, this podcast together and you both are happily married. 
I, I don't know if we're happily married, but uh, I'd say I, we're happily I can't married. speak to that. Are you happily married? Let's talk I, about it. We're definitely this. happily married. Yeah, I, Jacob is definitely the best thing to have come out of my cruise ship career. And I'd say the same thing. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much, Annie. This has been great. Thank you. See you later. Bye. 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 So that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was a really good episode. There's one thing that I feel like people might be wondering. Um, had we, Annie and I, decide, Annie and I quit ships together at the same time. Had we decided to do one more contract, there is a very high chance we would have been on the ships during the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. We got out just in time. Yeah, I've been talking about horror stories. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Mm -hmm. Everything I've heard has been like, we, we were on a ship together. And shortly after we left, they had a nasty norovirus, gastrointestinal virus outbreak, like maybe six weeks after we left. And that sounds terrible, being in a ship with any, any sort of illness on it. We were very lucky that that never happened. I feel like we're bringing it back around to feces once again. It, I mean, what's our, what do we want the mission statement of the show to really be? Let's get into the shit. <laughs> Hella interesting feces. <laughs> Uh, we got to get a gastroenterologist on here. I'm yeah. not even joking. It, no, that, I don't know any, but that would be great. If you listen to the show and you know a gastroenterologist who can talk on a microphone for an hour. Or proctologist. Or proctologist. Give us their number because that would be... I mean, it would be a really hard episode to listen to because you and I would just not stop giggling. I mean, imagine just talking about buttholes for the whole time. <laughs> Fortunately, we didn't do that with this episode. It was a lot classier. We can later. And I know there was a lot of stuff that was unsaid because you and Annie both have tons more stories from cruise ships. You, you can't compress it all into one hour. We we did get the big broad strokes, the stuff that generally people want to know about and the interesting stuff. Um, but like there's so, so, so much more. Yeah. I mean, I just spoke to someone who's writing a book about her experience. I've been trying to write a TV pilot about it. Like it's there's it's a incredibly interesting and varied um, world that I feel like a lot of people don't know about. To conclude this episode... I think we should mention that you and Annie have a podcast together. Yes, we haven't put up one. a new episode in a while, but it is a good. It's still available on on uh, our. It's on the platform Art Nineteen, but you can get it on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever. It's called um, Boo to a Goose. Boo to a Goose. Boo to a Goose. So just Google Boo to a Goose podcast, and you should be able to find it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and it's the two of us discussing the origins and meanings of various slang terms, mostly British slang terms, because this is something that came up in our in our relationship literally from the month we first met we've been talking about oh that means that that's so interesting i wonder why and then andy does the research and we sort of and we discuss uh how these terms are used and what they mean and where we think they come from it's very good it's yeah. a great podcast so i think it was worth plugging yeah Check all out. right well i think uh i think we can wrap up here sure uh thanks for listening to another episode of hello interesting people if you've not done so already please subscribe to this podcast every subscriber we get gets us more listens and more listens gets us more attention and we'd love to have this thing spread um also if you are already a listener and you enjoy the show if you could leave a rating or a review wherever uh itunes is usually the easiest spot but most platforms allow for if you just give us ratings uh, based on a number of stars and write a little review about what you like about the show that also helps our audience grow if you request an entirely fecal episode i think there's a good chance that we'll uh, we'll deliver on that promise. Yeah, if, if that's if that's what you're here for, we will hook it up. I promise. I poop promise. <laughs> we're five. We're five. Yeah, we're literally five years old. Have a good day, everybody. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>